0: See, in the 1920s, the TV was invented, and by the 1950s, TVs reached into nearly every family room across the country, raising a question. The question was, should it be regulated and how? Already, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, was dealing with the question of how do you regulate the radio and the spread of the radio, Cause they had a deal now, a deal with now with, with controlling TV programming because it was coming across public airwaves. And you may not realize this, but public airwaves were ruled to be public property. And anything traveling through it needed regulation for the common good. Cause anybody, anywhere, if they had a TV or radio could find that signal, which was public. So the FCC was given the right by the federal government to prohibit anything deemed obscene or indecent. Programs are considered obscene or indecent if the average person applying contemporary community standards found the content obscene or indecent. So married couples in 1950s TV land slept in separate beds. Because average person applying contemporary community standards found any picture of a man and woman in bed, even if married, to be indecent. Greater um, exposure of, you know, this whole idea of exposing a sense of intimate an intimacy, um, most people at that time were not comfortable with. And so I don't need to share with you or show you even a clip of TV today. I thought about that and I thought we're all just familiar with where things have gone from the seemingly what I would call harmless shows with suggestive innuendos like Big Bang or Family Guy to the scandalous shows like Scandal, Game of Thrones. The times have changed, as Bob Dylan said. Times, they are a-changing. And for the church to not deal with this subject on a fairly regular basis would make us really irrelevant. It is just something we need to talk about, and that's why we have... Titled this series "Let's Talk About Sex," and as I have prepared, and as I do this message, and Peter does a couple after me, um, there's just so much we could talk about, and we can't talk about it. Also, one of the things I want to share with you is we're going to have opportunities where you can talk further. We ask for questions, and I was surprised from both. Um, the middle school, high school ages Where we're also doing the same thing Talking about sex The amount of questions, really good questions And we did the app And we asked people and to continue to on our app To write in a question It's anonymous And I have a, a whole series of questions here I, I was going to read some of them And I thought, no, I'd rather not What I'm going to ask you to do is this We will try and answer some In some ways through this series On Sundays But we also will be doing on a on a Sunday, um, and I'll give you the dates. Let me just give you the dates. On February uh, 28th, uh, we will begin a class called Awaken Love, one for women and one for men, which really dives more into this. And I can tell you from people who have taken these, they have told, that, you know, the report is it's well worth it. So I want to encourage you. Those are Wednesday nights beginning February 28th. And then on uh, Sundays at 1045, on March 11th, the Engage class uh, will be talking, in a sense, answering some of these questions that you might have that has been written in. So we'll be doing that. But what I want you to take note of is this, that the FCC regulates programming content by this guideline. Here's the guideline. The average person applying contemporary community standards. What do Joe and Julie average and the community they live in deem as obscene and indecent? And what's interesting is that Joe and Julie Average and our community standards have been a moving target for the last 50 years to where we're at today. And who knows where it will be 50 years from now. And what's interesting about this is what has become the message and what I want to share with you today is that sex is nothing more than a physical act. That's kind of where it's Gone to sex has in a sense lost its sanctity It's considered not much different than any other appetite. So if you're hungry you do what you eat if you're tired you sleep If you have an itch you scratch it If you're aroused you express it whenever wherever whomever and however you want says the culture which seems to be What contemporary culture deems as appropriate? Unless you think I'm some kind of puritanical um, prude calling for uh, people still being in pajamas and being in separate beds on TV. That's not what I'm actually advocating. So please, that's not where I'm going. What I want us to do in this series, in which we look at the word of God, as Peter brings it to us in the next few weeks, is I would really love for you to wrestle with this and say, God, what does your word have to say in comparison to Joe and Julie Average, what does your words say about sexuality and the whole process of, of sexual intimacy and what this is all about? And as I ask you to think about it, I also want to say that I want this, I, I've been really praying about this, I want to treat this with real grace. It's not judgment. I don't want this to be judgmental. Because I think what's happened over the years is people haven't, had an understanding of what the word of God has to say and you may look at it and I want you to wrestle with it I'm telling you what I understand as uh, as one person who has looked at the scriptures exactly what I think the scripture has to say and why is this is such an important topic and I want to say this as well because I think the generations that have come up lately in these last 50 years maybe haven't had teaching around the Bible, or if they had, it's been kind of a general sense of, well, it's, it's not really up to date with where people are at in the world today. We've learned a whole lot of things. We're really a bit more enlightened than some of those archaic views that were found in church traditions. And so what I really want to do is cut through all that and say, let's just look at what the Bible has to say. So in saying that, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul faced the same this very same line of thought, Because, as the Bible says, nothing is new under the sun. And Paul writes to a group of new believers in Corinth, Greece. And you need a little background about this city, Corinth, because we're going to look at Corinthians. We're going to look at Corinthians chapter 6 specifically and begin around verse 12. But Corinth was a port city like New York or L.A. or Miami. And as a port city, it not only imported lots of goods... But also the latest trends of life. That's just the way it worked then. Now we have our ports are not necessarily so more, so much oceans kind of ports. They're ports like airports. And, and so, you know, you have other places where Atlanta and all kinds of different places, Chicago, where you have these ports where people can come in. But back in that day, if you're going to get the latest fads, the latest trends, it had to usually come across the sea. We'd come into a port and a large port city in Corinth was one of those just south of Athens. Here was a big, cosmopolitan city with all kinds of ideas and Corinth was a lot like the US is today it had some similar views sex was pervasive sex was without constraint or boundaries it was noted actually Corinth was noted in ancient times for its sexual permissiveness even in that culture so much so that it spawned a new word when they wanted to talk about sexual boundaries being kind of pushed to the limits, they would talk about the the word was to Corinthianize. You, they were people who who Corinthianized, and there was a temple there, the Temple of Aphrodite, and she was the goddess of love, which would cause people to be drunken with love, and and, and, and in whether they believe there are real spirits, which many of them did, had these spirits that that allowed for them to enjoy. Sexual intimacy in all kinds of expressions to the great pleasure of the god Aphrodite. So at one point in the letter that Paul is writing to 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, just one chapter before chapter 6, and some people say, well, why, you know, I've had some comments, why do we take three Sundays to talk about sex? Um, Because the Bible talked a lot about it and was pretty clear. So if you go to chapter 5, just before that, there's this, this passage of Scripture, and Paul himself seems to be just shocked. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, to this church of new believers, and he recognizes they're people of all different um, backgrounds and, 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 and races and, and cultural um, sensitivities. And, and, but he says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. It's kind of like you've pushed the boundaries once again. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Okay, this isn't this isn't a church setting, and I just have to share with you: we have this. We've moved along in in history, and we have churches that have kind of insulated themselves in culture. But what's happening then was this was new, and they were reaching into the lives of people who did not know. Jesus did not even know there was this Jewish faith in which a savior came So these were new people who said wow this Jesus is really cool and they were learning how to bring their cultural beliefs in line with Jesus in the teaching that you find in the gospels and in what Paul is writing in the letters which became our New Testament letters so I say that again with grace there are some of you who are here and, and here's the thing when we talk about sex there is a brokenness there's a pain to it some people have experienced great pain in their younger years some people have experienced pain in, in the brokenness in their older years and some have have just ventured into this without a real understanding of the word of God. That's what's going on here. And that's where some of you may be. And Paul's response is, you're proud of this. This guy's sleeping with his stepmother and it doesn't even faze you. Shouldn't this break your heart? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Hasn't some kind of boundary been crossed? And Contemporary community, Joe and Julie Average of the Corinth community would have responded and said, not really, it's just a physical act. It's an appetite. And then what does it matter? It needs to be satiated. So after Paul deals with this issue in chapter 5, he goes on in chapter 6, and I just want to move us to another argument because this is the argument that's happening in Corinth. This is what is he's dealing with people in the church and the culture that's around them. Here's what, here's what they say. Verse 12. I'm going to ask you to stand because I'm going to, I'm going to read this and I want you to be awake. Um, and, and I also want us to respect the word of God. He says in verse 12, And he's quoting their line of reasoning. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial, Paul's response. And again, they say, I have the right to do anything, Paul's response, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body by his power. God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So he's making a statement here. You're not just being spiritually raised. Someday you're raised in your spirit, but you will be given a resurrection body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? You're a part of his body now. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And he then goes back to quote some scripture that they might not really be aware of fully, but he says, for it is said in Genesis chapter two, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, every one of us who claim to follow Jesus, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Father, take these words, these moments, and just uh, apply them to our hearts. We pray that... Um, You, in your grace, will meet us in our broken places. That you, in your grace, will help us understand more fully what, what you, your spirit, is saying through Paul, your servant, as we read your word revealed to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. I'm just going to walk through this with you real quickly. Beginning in verse 12, where he says, he's quoting their argument, I have the right to do anything you say, but everything isn't beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered, by become a slave to anything, is what he's saying. We're free to do all kinds of things, Paul says. I agree with you. We're free to do all kinds of things. But not all things that we that are free are necessarily beneficial, right? And he says, you know, kind of like you could be high on glue, you're free to do that. You could be, you know, you're free to sleep only three hours a night. You're free to eat fried food at every meal. There's a lot of things you're free to do. There's a whole laundry list of things that are permissible, says Paul. But they come at a cost. And over time, it will destroy the way God has designed the body he's given you. And he also says, if I went around doing whatever I thought I could get away with, if I went around and just did that, then I would I would be a slave to my every whim. So if my appetites were the thing that were ruling me in my body, which was a part of the group in Corinth who said that's just the way to live, he said, then I would just end up being a slave to my body. So in verse 13, he goes on and says, here's your other argument. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. It's a pretty simple thought. Food satisfies the hunger of the stomach, their bodily functions, merely a physical appetite filling a physical organ. And at some point, both will be destroyed because they're only physical. That's what is being communicated. Food satisfies the hunger of the stomach. It was meant that way, and they are saying that's what God's plan is. And Paul kind of goes and says to Corinth, and he's kind of speaking here to the Joe and Julie contemporary culture argument and he, he progresses this thought. He takes it kind of down its limit. And here's the natural logical flow of his thought. He says, if the appetite of hunger is satisfied with food, then the appetite for sex is satisfied with sex. And he's saying, if that's what you're saying, um, you're just, this is their argument. We have sexual organs like the stomach and they just need to be satisfied. And so like food for the stomach, So also sex, who are sexual organs, it's just a physical thing. And in the end, they all get destroyed anyway. That's how God made us. That must be God's plan. And so like a variety of foods, the argument went variety of foods for the stomach there are a variety of ways of God intends us to have our physical appetite for sex to be satisfied it's just physical so don't get so hung up on all your kind of prudish puritanical Neanderthal I'll give you all kinds of words view it's merely an experience they would say of flesh to flesh it's no more than skin to skin pleasurable But get over your hang-ups. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're aroused, you go for it. If you feel love, you express it physically, right? And at that point, they were saying, as you see also within our culture, you express it physically whenever, wherever, and with whomever you feel. It's just a physical appetite. You have to follow the train of thought, because the train of thought is right if it's a physical appetite. If it's just a physical thing, think about it. The sky's the limit the race for the most fulfilling, most satisfying experience is on. And so you Corinthianize the appetite. And with this belief, it's only physical. Our culture then has set off on a quest for the best sexual experiences. If sex is just satisfaction of a physical urge, then go for the best. And if you're not satisfied with your spouse, then look for someone else who will satisfy you. It could be all kinds of things. Leather and chains, swingers, clubs, you name it, go on. It doesn't matter because it's just a physical thing. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Any questions so far? The Bible says that sex is far more than merely a physical act. And some of you, this may be new. Because so many of us have been trained in a culture that has been liberated and enlightened. And let me tell you, nothing is new under the sun. This is exactly what was going on in Corinth. This is exactly what Paul was speaking about. It's exactly what we see. So what are the boundaries you have to ask yourself? And as they go on and they read this, I'm sure some of them were thinking, oh, here's Paul. He's again, he's a spoil sport. And he's probably one of those gluten-free, vegan-eating, no-plastic-using, natural kind of annoying persons coming along writing this thing to us, who likes them anyway. I do, by the way. Um, Verses 13 and 14. He says, the body, however, here's the truth. According to the word of God, it's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. And the reasoning that sex is comparable to eating, he says, is a lie. Though they both use physical organs and have anatomical parts, the activity itself is as different as from night from day. Sex is in no way comparable to eating, chocolate included. Okay. <laughs> He's basically saying reduce sex to a physical act and you cheapen and you degrade it because the body is meant for God. It belongs to God. He paid for it. Your body and its appetites are not yours. If you have opened your heart to Jesus Christ and invited Him to take residence in your very being, the Spirit of God now resides in your spirit and your spirit is the one who gives guidance to your body. All our appetites. Sexual appetites included. Paul states if you are a follower of Jesus you are now a member of his resurrected body there is some kind of oneness that has occurred some kind of mystical union he talks about in other places in scripture with him and the person whom you've committed yourself to for life so he goes on in verse 15 do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself shall i then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute in no way by no means he says do you know do you not know that He who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body. Something's happening here. For it said, the word of God says all the way back in Genesis, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. The body and sex were intended from the beginning for marriage. Sexual intimacy was about a lifelong commitment in which you grow in that relationship with one another and it transcends something that's just physical. There's something deeply spiritual about a one flesh union. And what I want to share with you is next week when Peter comes, he's going to speak on Genesis 2. He's going to go back to this verse and he's going to break down what one fleshness means. He's going to talk about the beauty of sex but he's also going to bring in here, which is really important because so many people experience the pain of it and what does this mean in my own brokenness and it's not working well in my own life maybe in your own marriage it's just not and and we want to address this we want to give you classes like the lake and love we want to do these engaged classes to answer questions we want to hit this head-on that's why in the last few weeks we've talked about finances we're we're just going to be an open community that says let's get real and authentic and build that kind of community with one another so Paul talks about a a becoming one flesh, a joining together, a actual coming together is kind of that idea that's reserved for this lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. And he says to do otherwise is at the expense of your soul and spirit. So listen to what he says in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Got to think about that. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price and therefore honor God with your bodies. In some way, sexual sin is different than every other kind of sin. And all other sins a person commits, he says, are outside the body. But one thing you need to realize is sex has its boundaries. It has its place. And God um, wants us to know that because this appetite that we have, just like the appetite for food, you drink draino, what can happen? It's not a good thing. He's kind of saying out in here in this area and spiritual kind of consequences you may not feel right away. It's not like the Drano drink. So let's just go in. Here is a biblical, if that's the biblical truth and that it's more than just a physical act, here I'm going to share with you some biblical implications. And the biblical implications are, are is basically sex is a profoundly spiritual act. It's a profoundly spiritual act. That's why in verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. It's interesting he uses this word, and it's just so short, flee. It's said with punch, it's short, it's to the point. It's said like one who would be standing in the midst of a house that's filled with smoke, fire. Or as you're standing by a car, that might be on fire. You would say, get away from it. That's kind of the sense here. I want you to understand from a spiritual standpoint. Now, I realize if you don't uh, um, understand and and, and believe the Bible has anything to say on this, and if you haven't come to a place where you've opened your heart and you said, I want to give my will to you, Lord, some of this stuff isn't going to make sense. But for the heart that's saying, God, I really want to know you and I want to understand you, and as you begin to read the Word of God, and I'm not saying just take my word for granted. I just say if this is an area and you're struggling with it, and even if you are not a person who's made that kind of commitment to Christ, I encourage you to wrestle with what this has to say because the word flee is really strong. So here's the first implication, and that is that sex is a gift from God. Before we go any further, although there may be pain in relationships around it, although it can create difficulties, and we'll talk a moment about that, The reality is that sex is something that God designed. He He is the one who put it together and he gave it to Adam and Eve. And he said, I want you to enjoy it. And every time you see it in scripture, you'll find that there's a guard and a boundary around it. But there's also this sense that what's in here is really powerful. So that you go to a Song of Songs, you go throughout the Bible, and in the Song of Songs, a lot of people try to they try and move it and and say this is a relationship of Christ and church. And there's an aspect of where there's a kind of an allegory, analogy, kind of going on there. But the reality is, if you really read it, and if you go to this awakened um, love class, you'll find that book is really about the pleasure and pursuit around sexual intimacy. So, sex is a gift from God there 's another reason Paul is so forceful in his teaching and warning is because he wants you to understand what occurs in this sexual intercourse action. Sex welds two souls together. He quotes genesis two hundred twenty four and verse sixteen of chapter six in Corinthians. And this little statement, the two will become one flesh, is a powerful statement. Again, Peter will go further into this, but I'm just going to share with you the actual Greek words to you join or unite, which is this word kalo, kaleo really, is, is this word that, that means fasten together to glue or to cement, and the root word kala is the word that was used for glue. And so when you see him uniting yourself to a prostitute and joining together like that, he's talking about gluing yourself. Literally, the Bible says that when two join together in sexual intercourse, there's some kind of fusing together of their souls. It's a kind of spiritual gluing, welding the spirits together. And when you think about that, you can understand sometimes how deeply wounded people experience when the experience they have when they are betrayed through adultery. I was reading a a book by a guy named Frank Pittman, the third MD, and he actually writes in psychology magazine, but he's not a believer. He writes private lies because he was so tired after years of practice. He writes a book, private lies, infidelity and the betrayal of intimacy. And he wrote as an attempt to wake people up to the painful reality of infidelity. Here's what he writes. He says, he writes, why is there such pain? So he's faced this from couple after couple. Why does a person's head spin, their heart pound, and they feel like they're throwing up? Why do those who have undergone the betrayal of infidelity feel, catch his words, torn apart? If it's just a physical act, why is a person's soul pierced, broken, and torn asunder? Because what the scripture has to say is there's a coming together, a gluing together, and when you pull it apart you're ripping splinters of the soul off as they tear away from one another and part of that sexual encounter is to do that I, uh, you can read in all kinds of different science magazines today, but here's just one study from May 2017, just this last spring in Science Daily, which is usually they give you the latest research data. It says sex plays a central role in reproduction. It can be pleasurable, but new findings suggest that it may serve an additional purpose, bonding partners together. Isn't that interesting? Bonding, glue. It's something the Bible said a study of newlywed couples published in the Psychological Science, a journal of the, for the Association of Psychological Science, etc., indicates that partners experience a sexual afterglow that lasts up for up to two days. And... This afterglow is linked with the relationship quality over the long term. It is meant, they go on in the article, to say is to bond people together through this oxytoxin that happens in your brain. I Sometimes when people talk to me about psychology and, and, and they talk about Christian counseling and other things like that, I want to go, you know what, we learn so much. We can never close off what God is doing in the scientific realm because the scientific realm almost always, when you give it enough time, goes on to prove the reality. Of the word of God. And so the science even tells us this. And then there's a second thing that is similar to this. But not only is there's a sense of the welding to go. You ever done super glue? and, And you stick your fingers together? This is the image I want you to have of a sexual experience. If you do that and you pull it apart. You are often pulling off skin. That's how God designed this. Through the activity of our neurons in our brain. So wells two people together. Sex reaches into the soul, our holy of holy places. That's what Paul indicates here. It's a place reserved for God who is eternally committed to us. It is also a place reserved for that other individual who in a like manner has committed himself to you or to each other. It's it's really funny, Is in scripture there's often these uses of threes, because threes are these strong bonds. And you see the trinity, that's interesting, that God is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and in a similar way, he talks about God being involved in our relationship, um, husband and wife. And he talks about how this trinity is really important. And I often will share with couples when they're getting married, that as you grow closer to God, you grow closer to one another. Because God enters into your relationship. And in the, he actually, as much as you don't, you may go, oh, don't talk about this. He enters into every at, facet of your relationship. He says, this is in a sense through your sexuality. It's kind of your secret you share with another person. It is the most holy place. A kind of trinity place where you, your spouse, and God dwell. It is a place of nakedness, of extreme vulnerability and openness and trust. It is far more than physical. It explains the incredible pain associated, think about this, with rape or children who are sexually abused. How it just messes their inner being. Have you ever wondered why it takes so many years for a person to get through experiences of rape or sexual abuse? Here's what's going on. Satan hates God. He hates anything that resembles God. He hates specifically the image of God. You and I bear the image of God. He hates the image of God in innocent little children. He hates the image of God in another person. And he will do what he can to destroy it. And one of the ways that he can do it in, in a way, think about it, it seems kind of silly if it's just a physical act. What happens? When I was at Wheaton College, there was a girl who was um, kind of like taking care of security in a building and it was late at night and they came in to rob it but they didn't just rob it they actually shot her and raped her she survived the shots because one went through her arm and one just went through her chest but what I found is really interesting is she healed so much faster from the physical wound it took years and it took years of therapy to heal from that sexual violation Cause scripture says this. The TV doesn't say this. You don't get the whole reality when you watch the TV show. You don't get all the pain and all the other stuff that goes with it. You just get the high moment. It's like, you know, people who send their clips on Facebook and Twitter. You get the highlights of their life, right? You don't get the downside. And Paul says there is a tremendous downside. It is a lie. It is an outright lie that we as people who are following Jesus need to come to grips with. Sex is not just a physical act that we see in TV, movies, media, locker room, all kinds of romantic books that are out there today. Whatever it is, it is a deeply spiritual act that touches to the very soul of a being. It welds together souls. It gives entrance to souls, most holy inner place. And in marriage, God uses it in a a wonderful way. And, And here's the third implication. In marriage, sex reveals and conceals. A good and satisfying sex life in a marriage is a deeply spiritual thing. It's meant to reveal and conceal what is going on in a life of a of a person of people committed to one another, in this sense, the sexual relationship acts like an emotional barometer for the relationship. It often can reflect a couple's satisfaction of other parts of the relationship. Isn't that funny that God would cause something like this, where there'd be such a oneness, to be also something that goes, "Look at, you know, the wife going, I don't feel emotionally close. I don't feel listened to or understood." So I feel used. I, mean, I should be really honest, right? And, and God uses the sex drive. I think often it is something that, guys, it, it, it is something that God does that uses to glue the relationship together. And, and what it does is it can reveal what's going on. A good sexual relationship is often the outcome of a good emotional relationship between partners. Now there's all kinds of things, and we don't have time to go into it. There's physical difficulties that come in, other kinds of things, but I just want to say that's what it can do. It can, it can actually reveal what's going on. But paradoxically, on the other side, sex can also suppress the expression of deeper concerns. You ever, ever notice that even in our, my coming to this, it feels like really courageous to want to even talk about this, to be honest with you guys. but sex is one of the most difficult topics not just to speak from the pulpit in a, in a way like this but for couples to actually talk about. To share personal feelings about. And so some couples can actually use sex not to, to reveal what's going on, but to conceal what's going on. In fact, they can smooth over difficulties and disputes by just saying, let's have sex, which may be just a clever way of avoiding talking about really important issues that do require courage and honesty and a willingness to work through some things that are painful, but instead let's just go and use it to medicate so that we can just go on. You see how... how um, Intricate and in some ways complex and yet powerful this is. Because sexuality works to glue people together at the deepest, most holy place in their being. It also serves as a gauge in committed relationships to reveal the health of a relationship or to conceal it. Good, satisfying sex, and again, we don't have time to go into this, but if you, one of the reasons it's not just a physical thing and you thought it was, you know, if it's not good here, then I go elsewhere, it's just an appetite. Reality is, yes, it's like eating crackers. You can, you can find satisfying experiences out there. But if you want something good and satisfying that glues yourself to another person for life, there are some realities around the sexual experience, and that is that it takes time to grow into that kind of satisfying relationship. It just doesn't happen overnight, or maybe it did for a while, but then it begins to start revealing things that cause you to have to continue to come together in a real emotional sense. And not only that, good sex takes effort. That's why I I would encourage you, if you're in a place and you can't talk about it, go to one of these classes. Begin to start getting some work. Go to some therapy. Get some help. Put some effort into that area of your relationship. And I also want you to know that I think good sex takes God. Because of the brokenness in relationships, we need God. There are people here who are going to have a difficult time having the kind of um, relationship sexually they want with their partner because they haven't dealt with some forgiveness issues, some wounds, and some hurts. One of the things that we find so often in our gateway prayer ministry, which I encourage you to be thinking about, is how often people come in with things in their past that God forgives that allows for them to move into a whole new place because God takes a wound that's been festering, and He, by His Holy Spirit, brings forgiveness. And some of you in your lives need that. You've been holding it back. You haven't dealt with it. You have stuff going on in your past, and I encourage you. Part of what the Bible talks about is confession and, for, and, and, and this whole idea of forgiveness. It's confession, repentance, and forgiveness. It's this process where you sometimes you need to speak out loud to someone and allow the Holy Spirit in a prayer kind of setting to kind of allow for you to admit and, and to realize what's going on and to repent from a past sin that's left a wound that allows for you then to feel the forgiveness of God and the restoring work of the Holy Spirit so you can move into the places that God wants you to move into in relationships with others and the last thing I will just share is you know sexuality is so powerful think about it it just grips our culture and one of the things about it is God uses it kind of as a foretaste of what our future ecstasy is. And I don't mean that in just pleasure. I mean it in the sense of oneness that we will experience with God and all creation. And he gives us, I, I think C.S. Lewis was so great that he doesn't put appetites, things in our hearts and our souls that he isn't going to fulfill and I'm just, I'm so amazed. I've been reading a lot of stuff as I've been talking, thinking about doing this series on the afterlife. I'm reading a lot of book on physics and, and the time, and and I'm just amazed at how many scientists who look at um, this finely tuned earth and they're doing everything they can to try and explain it away. Um, and I'll talk more maybe, I think, in another series about this, but I'm just amazed at how they want to deny this and and. and and here's another evidence of the fact that God is saying, I've created you for more. And if you're kind of in that place and you're, you haven't opened your heart to Jesus, I, it, is, it is one of the best things. Um, he just comes in and he cleanses your heart and gives you his life and he brings forgiveness and he heals wounds. And I I'd go, why wouldn't you want that? And yet, I realize people, why people don't want it. It's just like these authors who write this they don't want to surrender their will. It's it's not often... I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, these, these guys who are trying to push the envelope in physics and, and trying to find multiverse so they can explain a way of finally I don't... That's not the deal. God could create multiverse. But why couldn't God do that? Why do you have to just say he isn't there? So, I'm going to ask you um, to stand... And we're going to sing in a moment, but I'm going to ask you to stand. And um, I have prayed that this would be gracious, because I know there's brokenness. I know that some might feel guilt, and I know there might be shame. And I just want you, if your heart is in a place where you say, Jesus, I love you, his forgiveness is there. He wants you to receive it. And he just wants you to say, what do you want me to do next, Lord Jesus? What is my next step? And that's my prayer for you. And just allow God to work in your heart. If you want to sing the song or if you want to just listen, it doesn't matter. But take this time, quiet your heart, and let God just speak to your heart.